We are live at Eagle Heart Fellowship. And tonight's message, da-da-da-da, drum roll please. Where's the beef? Is the question of the hour. Where's the beef? During the 1980s, a well-known hamburger chain named Wendy's had a series of TV commercials that caught America's attention. During these commercials, two elderly ladies were shown standing near the food counter of a competitor's hamburger chain examining their burgers. As they opened the oversized bun, they looked down and discovered an extremely undersized beef patty. (laughs) They looked at the patty in amazement and then at each other. And, said, and then said the words that made them famous. Where's the beef? <laughs> Today, this scenario seems to be repeating itself. Oh boy. <laughs> but in a different setting. Many are going to church and asking the same question from a spiritual standpoint. Why? Saying, where's the beef? Why? The beefy signs and wonders, meaty healings, mm. miracles and holy boldness of God's people, our Bibles record from Genesis to Revelation, seems to have shrunk today, while the size of the starchy bun of religious activity seems to have increased. Whatever happened to the first century power demonstrated in the book of Acts when the name of Jesus was preached? We know that Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because Hebrews 13.8 says it. We know in Malachi, the Lord Himself says, I, the Lord God, change not. So He's unchangeable. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus hasn't changed. This leaves us with only one other reasonable conclusion. We have changed. One minister told me, David... I was born in the fires of Pentecost, and I'm allergic to the smoke. (laughs) At first I thought this was a rather funny metaphor, and pictured myself in the fires of God with Him, burning with the power of Pentecost. But then I became convicted knowing that although I too had experienced that power at salvation, something had gone wrong somewhere down the road since. I was now just living in the smoke of religious activity. Oh, I smelled like a Christian, had the Christian jargon, glory to God, praise the Lord, God bless you, thank you Jesus, hallelujah. I even loved to talk about the Bible, but so did the Pharisees. I attended Bible study. It was something I looked forward to. As for witnessing my faith, yep, I was there, even leading one to Christ from time to time. But when it came to the truth of the matter, I'd grown lukewarm in my relationship with Jesus. And the power of God had evaporated from my life. I had more burger, I had more bun than burger. The same minister who still had the power, both in the pulpit and out, demonstrated a lifestyle that showed me where I had gone astray, where I had fallen short. 
hopefully tonight as I share this, it will encourage you to get back to where you've got more beef than bun. His life was spent in prayer time and in the Word and in fasting. He had a relationship with Jesus that resulted in compassion, true compassion and love for God's sheep. He was a servant first and thus was able to be a leader. I looked at my own life and thought about the last time at that time that I'd done pushaways from the dinner table. That's also called fasting. Pushaways from the dinner table. It had been a while. As I reflected on my prayer life, it too had waned and fallen short. It wasn't until I set time aside each morning and evening specifically for prayer alone with God did I realize how far I'd actually fallen into religious activity versus true relationship with Jesus. At first I thought it was just the devil fighting me. But eventually I realized it was my own flesh that was the problem. My own soul that was the problem. Fifteen minutes in prayer seemed like an eternity. I even timed myself the first several days and nights just to find out where I was spiritually. I was anemic at best. For the first few days, I wanted to quit and return to my comfortable Christian lifestyle with the bun. Simply attending Bible study, Sunday service, talking the talk, and witnessing my Bible knowledge to others. That was surely much easier than actually spending time alone with God and denying myself the three meals a day I so deserved in America. But the Holy Spirit had hooked me. Before long, spending time alone with God ceased being a labor and once again became my first love. And as Jesus returned to the center point of my life, not just an add-on, I found myself back in the center of Him. And I was back in the fire. And the fire was back in me. And it can be back in you the same way. Because God is no respecter of persons. And all that come into Him, He will in no way cast out. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 That you might obtain grace and mercy in the time of need. For all that ask, it is given. All that seek will find and all that knock, the door will be opened. In the original Greek language in Matthew 7, 7 where it says, ask, seek, and knock. The words ask, seek, and knock aren't fully conveyed in the English language. They're in what's referred to as the present imperative tense of the Greek language, the Koine Greek. I said all that to say this. It's actually to knock and to keep on knocking. To ask and to keep on asking. To seek and to keep on seeking. And Jesus gave this parable in Luke 18. There was a certain persistent widow who came before a wicked king 
in hopes that that king would avenge her of her adversary. And the king would not for a season. But she returned again and again and petitioned him. And he finally said these words. He says, Even though I fear not God nor regard men, but because of this persistent widow's continual coming, I will avenge her of her adversary. And then Jesus says these words in Luke 18, verses 1 through 9. He says, How much more will your heavenly Father avenge God's elect if they consistently come to Him? He said this though, But when the Son of Man returns on the earth, will He find faith? Question mark. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. For all that ask receive, all that seek will find, and all who knock, the door will be opened unto them. All that ask and keep on asking. All that seek and keep on seeking, and all that knock and keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on knocking. There's another parable where Jesus talks about a man who has a neighbor who comes to him for bread in the middle of the night. And the man says, I'm asleep. Go back to bed. He says, but I have guests that have come in from out of town. And he continues to knock on the neighbor's door. And even though he's asleep, he gets up to give him what he's requested because of his persistence. Persistence with one you have a relationship with. Is it that God is withholding anything from you? Oh, no. God wants to give you so much. He gave His Son for you and me on the cross who was hung up for your hang-ups and mine. How much more will He give you what you need if you ask, if you seek, and if you knock? And sometimes it's not a matter of our prayers being twisting the arm of God, but rather our prayers getting the twist out of us that step us up into the heavenlies and align us that we can finally receive what He really wants to do, not just for us, but in us in the process. How many have experienced God delaying answering a prayer and in retrospect, hindsight being 20-20 clear vision, that if He'd have answered it at the time, you may not have used it for the kingdom or it may have turned out to be a curse instead of a blessing. God's delays are not God's denials. Continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock and climb up into the highest will of God which we're going to get into tonight as we talk about the spiritual growth pyramid, how to climb into the highest place with God, how to get into the highest place of God's triune will. God is one, and He reveals Himself in three persons. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one. He has one will. It is the triune will, which is His good, His acceptable, and His perfect will. I like to refer to it as the good, better, and best or the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold harvest, as the Scriptures talks about. More burger or more bun? Mm -hmm. 
That's what I ask my question now daily. There's certainly nothing wrong with the bread of religious activity. I still attend church, look forward to Bible study, and share my faith with others like you do. But the life-changing power comes with the beef of the gospel in the midst of these activities. Jesus declared in John 4.32, the King James Version, I have meat that you know not of. Mm. He wants to give us not just milk, but strong meat. And that's my heart cry today. Lord, where is the beef? Where is the meat of your word? Where is the life-changing protein that strengthens us to rise up and share the love of God? I want you to look here at the spiritual growth pyramid. The spiritual growth pyramid, and for those that are listening on audio, it looks like a pyramid with three different sections moving up. There's the bottom section that is the 30-fold harvest and it's the goodwill of God in the triune will. Remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one God. H2O is ice, it's water, it's steam. You and I, we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. So it's not that God is schizophrenic or He has three wills. He has one will, one will in three parts. The good, the better, and the best. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13 so we can get some scriptural basis. So when people ask you, what was he talking about? You have some scriptural basis too. Matthew 13.8 talks about, talks about the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Jesus said this. Let's just start in verse 1. Matthew 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Matthew 13, 3. And he spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came by and devoured them up, the birds of the air. Verse 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Verse 6, and when the sun was come up, they were scorched because they had no root. And they withered away. Verse 8, verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other, verse 8, fell into the good ground. Say the good ground. The good and it brought forth fruit. Say fruit. fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How is it, I ask you, that the same seed, which is the Word of God, can fall into the same good soil and it produce three different harvests? If it's the same seed and the same soil, how is it that it produced three different harvests, some 30, some 60, and some 100? Or as the Scripture says here, some 100, some 60, and some 30. I believe that the seed always starts with the 100-fold harvest. 
And I believe somehow we diminish the harvest. Because it's never the seed's fault because it's the Word of God which is pure. The soil is our spirit which though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed. We don't even do anything for it. You're born again by faith. Not of works lest any man could boast. It's the free gift of God. So this spirit man is the good soil. The Word of God is the good seed. How is it that the same good seed in the same good soil of the born-again believer can produce three different harvests? Say, hmm. Might I suggest that the seed goes into the soil of our heart, into our innermost man, and then it begins to spring up, but sometimes it has difficulty getting through our soul and out of our body, out of our nature, because it's hidden within us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You tracking? Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Can you see we're going somewhere? Same seed, which is the Word of God. Same soil, which is the heart of the believer because it's good soil. Produces three different harvests. Some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul wrote these words with his first century pen to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Turn to your neighbor and say, That's you. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's just reasonable. Mm. Verse 2. And be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test, know, or prove. And I'm going to add in a couple of words here. What is the triune will of God? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will? The NIV translation says good, well-pleasing, and perfect. By the way, the word perfect in the original language, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, really means a little bit different than what we see as perfect. The way a five-year-old makes their bed versus a 21-year-old at boot camp. The mother comes in and sees how the five-year-old has made the bed. How'd I do, Mom? You did a perfect job. Because for their age and understanding, they did a perfect job. The word perfect is growing in maturity. That same bed that they made at five, when they're in boot camp in the military, would get them thrown in the brig possibly. Because you can't bounce a quarter off that one that they did at age five. But the one at age 21 at boot camp, you better step up your game because you have more ability and more capability and more responsibility. 
Responsibility is your response to your God-given ability. And you're capable with your abilities. So when we're in the perfect will of God, you may be in the perfect will and someone else who doesn't know as much about the Lord, as much about the Word, as much about life, might be doing less than appears in the natural, but they're maxing out their capability and responsibility and God is well pleased with them. And so we don't compare ourselves one with another, as the Bible says, is not wise. But we compare ourselves to Christ. And we all fall short. The good news is, the Father is pleased when we are doing everything that we have on the light that we're walking in. Does that make sense? So, there's His good, there's His well-pleasing, and there's His perfect will. There's the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold. How many would like to get the highest will of God manifested out of their spirit, through their soul, and out of their body so that others could see Jesus in the world? There's a passage of Scripture, and it's really Peter's life. Peter in Luke chapter 5 gets called by Jesus into ministry. Let's just go there. Luke chapter 5, if you will. Peter is a fisherman. He's uh, an interesting guy. I love Peter because he gives me hope. Luke chapter 5 says these words. Chapter 5, verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And Jesus entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust him out a little bit from the land. And as he sat down, Jesus taught the people out of the ship. Luke 5, verses 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a great catch of fishes. Verse 5. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Singular. Let down your nets. I will let down the net. Sometimes we miss our bigger harvest because we obey a portion of what God says. Sometimes, I'm going to tell you a quick story. There was a man, he was on the front row and he was getting ready to sow into the offering plate and the Lord highlighted somebody several rows back. And the Lord told him to give him a $50 bill in addition to his offering into the church. You know, it was like an alm. And as he was sitting there, the Lord spoke to him, I want you to give him 100 And so then he pulled out 100 And the Lord says, I want you to give him a 50 And he couldn't figure out why he was hearing what appeared to be a schizophrenic God. And finally, after he'd given in the offering, this and that, he went and approached the man at the end of the service. They were walking out. He didn't know him. He walked up and says, Lord told me to give this to you. And he handed him a $100 bill. And the man looked and he was shocked. And he says, 
I was sitting back there and he said, the Lord told me to give $10 into the offering plate. But I only wanted to give five. And I said, Lord, I've only got five to give. I can only give five. I need the other five to get home with. And the Lord says, I want you to give ten. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll give the ten. And then he would go back to the five and he vacillated back and forth. And as he vacillated back and forth between the five and the ten, the Lord would speak to the man on the front row, 100 verses 50, 100 verses 50. And it was based upon the man's obedience to give the nets versus the net. Right, right, right. Wow. Wow. How many blessings have we missed from the Lord because we withheld something that was in our hand. God couldn't give us what was in His hand wow. because it's tied to our obedience to hear His voice. The good, the better, and the best will of God. The 30, the 60, and the 100-fold harvest. The body, the soul, and the spirit. The outer courts Christian experience of Egypt. The inner courts wilderness experience coming out of Egypt. And the holy of holies experience of entering the land of Canaan that flows with milk and honey. The outer courts milk of the word. The holy of holies. Strong meat. And in between the two, could there be hamburgers and fries? In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle of Moses. And that tabernacle of Moses had three sections in it. It had an outer courts in it where they had the altar of sacrifice. They had the water laver where they washed their hands after they had sacrificed the animal. And then they had the inner courts where it had a seven-fold candlestick, a table of showbread with 12 loaves on it, and it had an altar of incense. And then in the Holy of Holies, there was only one piece of furniture. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the gold Ark of the Covenant were two cherubs, gold angels, that covered the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God was on the ark. Illustration. In the outer courts, it was natural light that could be seen by the sun. In the inner courts, it was candle light that was made by men as they made those candles and had to light them perpetually. There was effort involved. And in the Holy of Holies, it was supernatural light from God where it was effortless. In the outer courts, it's effortless to see because it's what's in the natural. In the inner courts, it's what we seek as we study the Word. And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. In the Holy of Holies, God just begins to reveal the deeper truths. Amen. Are you willing to press in? He's inviting us deeper that we might be hundredfold harvest vessels of honor fit for the master's use back to Luke chapter 5 because we're going somewhere Simon answering said unto him master we've toiled all night and have taken nothing nevertheless at thy word I will let down by the net Peter said this look Jesus 
I'm a fisherman. I do this for a living. This is how I make my living. This is not a pastime for me. I don't go by the Bass Pro Shop and pick up a few lures because I enjoy this. This is how I make a living. This is all I do. And I'm an expert at this. But I'm picking something up from you, oh Lord, Master, Rabbi, Master Teacher, whoever you are. That there's something in your words, there's an authority in your voice that I don't understand. It's completely contrary to everything that I've learned in fishing. And I was going to throw in the towel today. But I believe it enough to where I'm going to go out and throw at least one net. By the way, we're reading from the King James Version. I don't know what your translation says. So I'm highlighting this from the KJV. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude. Say multitude. Multitude Multitude of fishes and their net broke. In the translation, their net began to break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You're always just one word away from a breakthrough with God. It doesn't matter your financial situation, your health situation, your relationship situation. You might think you're going crazy in your mind. You might be depressed. You might be anxious. One word from heaven switches everything around in an instant. They were in the wilderness and they were dying of thirst. Water comes out of a rock. Samson just got done killing a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And he was thirsty so that he thought he would faint. And out of the jawbone comes water. God is not limited in what He can do at any time for you. He can rain manna from the sky, bring water from the rock. And when your enemies are chasing you and you're caught between them, well armed, and the Red Sea where you'll drown, God can part the sea and you can walk on dry ground. And then if your enemies follow you, they can drown in the Red Sea because they can't follow you through the blood. Can I get an amen? Amen. Verse 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, For he was astonished and all that were with, with him at the great drought or catch of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from this point forward you will catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. The first step in our Christian walk is learning obedience to God's Word. So many people come to me and they say, David, prophesy to me. Do you have a word from the Lord? And I ask them this simple question. What did the Lord tell you to do last time? That's it. That's it. And they'll tell me, and I'll say, did you do that? And they'll say, well, I didn't really get around to it. I need a fresh word. I said, well, let me show you the book of Jonah. 
Because in Jonah 1.1 it says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the first time, saying, Son of Amittai, go preach unto the Ninevites. But instead he bought a ticket to Tarshish, went the other direction, ended up in the belly of a fish, repented, got spit out, almost got everybody around him in a shipwreck. You can always tell a backslidden preacher, everybody he goes around will get messed up till he repents. Amen? Amen. Well, I won't mess with the backslidden preacher. I just point him right to the cross because I don't want him to get connected with him. Because some storms are coming. He went down to buy a ticket unto Tarshish. Then he went down to the ship. Then he went down into the bow of the ship. Then they threw him overboard. He went down into the water. Then he went down into the belly of the fish. And then the fish was down. Then he went into the belly of hell. Read it. The minute you go the wrong direction with God, once you're called, you're going to go down, 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 down. Till you repent and then God will spit you right back up on the beach. Interestingly enough, he went the wrong direction, but the fish knew exactly where the destination was at. And that man Jonah, in Jonah 3.1, it says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. And you know what the word of the Lord was the second time? The same thing as it was the first time. You're revisiting some things in your mind right now, aren't you? I know I've been changed. <laughs> so, I asked them, what did you do with the Word of the Lord last time? And I dig a little deeper. Because they'll jump around, twist, shake, rattle and roll. It's kind of like the woman at the well. Jesus says, where's your husband? Oh, I'm not married. He says, you're right. The man you're with, you're not married to. And... You've had five husbands. See, Jesus will go beneath the root, you know, because a preacher's job really is to, to really comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. <laughs> anyway, I asked them, well, let me ask you this. Are you in church? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 26, 25 and 26, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. In other words, go to church. Well, David, I can't find a good church. Really? Stop by our fellowship. It's okay here. You're safe. Well, there's too many hypocrites in church. And I say, oh, come anyway. One more won't hurt. <laughs> and they say, well, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. And I say, well, if you'll allow a hypocrite to stand between you and God, that means the hypocrite's closer to Him than you are. So the first thing I try to find out is, are they in church? Because, nevertheless, at thy word, even though it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to do it because it's in your word, Lord. Then I ask him this, how's your prayer life? And then the next question I ask, are you in the word? And then the next question I ask him, have you tried fasting? and doing some pushaways from the table. And then I ask them about the T word. The tithe. Those preachers are only after my money. So is the federal government. 
<laughs> so is the internet marketers. So are your children. So is your wife. So is the gas pump. Oh boy. Well, God doesn't need my money. You're right. He needs your heart. But He can't get that one either. Because where your money is, that's where your heart is. Oh, David, get off my toes. Somebody's got to get on them. you got anesthetized. You can't feel the message anymore. got sermon proof. So I ask them those key questions because the outer courts Christian sees in natural light with worldly wisdom if they're not careful. And they'll never move forward into the inner courts to get a greater harvest with the Lord and to be a better light shining into the world with Jesus shining out of them as long as they're all into self. Because the outer courts 30-fold harvest Christian with the natural light understanding of the Word, always talks about themselves and the past. Well, I was a wrestling champ in 1492. I was... Let me take you to my I Love Me wall and show you the trophies. I mean, they can't run a 100-yard dash in 25 seconds now, let alone 10-2. But they want to act like they still can. You know what? That's the past. What are you doing today? Somebody asked an older friend of mine who's really accomplished in a lot of areas. They were in church for years together. It was kind of a lukewarm denomination. But this guy ended up getting on fire for God. So he went to his friend who was in his 80s, and this man was in his 80s and out on the mission field and doing things for Jesus. And he went up to him and he says, By the way, I'll use the name Jim. He says, by the way, Jim, he says, how's your fishing? He says, well, I don't fish. He says, I mean, I have fished before. He says, I'm not into fishing. I'm into this and this. He says, oh. And he started talking more about the accomplishments he'd done, the I love me wall, the accomplishments, the glory be to me syndrome story, unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And the man says, well, how's your fishing? And he says, what are you talking about? I don't even fish. I don't have a fishing pole. He says, Jesus is asking you, how's your fishing? Because He wants you to go out and catch men for Him. How's your fishing today? How are your lures? You know, I see some people who've got some lures, but they're for the wrong kingdom. Sometimes you've got to put off so you can put on. What's your motive for coming to church? Is it to meet Jesus or is it to be seen by the man or the woman that you're coming to be seen by? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Sometimes we come for a mixed bag of motives. I knew some guys that in prison, there were some former ladies of the night that had gotten saved off the street. That's prostitutes, by the way, harlots, whatever you want to call it. And they had gotten saved, delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit, set free from drugs, alcohol, and the pimps and that whole world. Mm-hmm. And so the guys in prison are like, wow, we got some ex-hookers coming in. Let's go to the church. church. Now, I don't think they were going for Jesus. Mm-hmm. When they got there, I was really kind of upset because they were going for the wrong reason. But see, God will get you. He'll take your motive. He'll hook you with it. 
See, Samson was going down to the Philistine camp not to go for war against the Philistines. He was going window shopping for Delilah, the hairdresser. She got his locks. Yeah. Okay, that's another story. But the point is this. They went. <laughs> when looking, you're hooked if you're not careful. Thank God for grace. Set you free. But when they got there, these women were on fire for Jesus. And as those men went forward at the end for prayer, just to have a woman, to get in a woman's presence in a prison setting and to be able to legally have her either hug him or put hands or pray for him, he was just longing to be in the presence of somebody human who wasn't pat-searching him looking for contraband. And as those women laid hands on him, heaven came down to the earth. And they got what they were really looking for in life because they had a God-shaped vacuum in their hearts that only Jesus Christ could fill. Amen. So Peter starts in the outer courts in his Christian walk, which is obedience. And obedience brought in a great harvest and called them into the ministry. In Matthew chapter 14, he has a second encounter with Jesus that moves him forward. See, outer court's faith is obedience. Inner court's faith becomes experimental. We begin to move on with God. Where we begin to seek Him in a new way. Outer court's ask. Inner court's seek. Holy of holies. That's where we really find Him. And we touch out, reach, and grab the hem of His garment and virtue begins to flow and the miracles begin to happen. Do you want the beef of the gospel or do you just want the bun? Double beef. I like that. That's right. Matthew 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. Say pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, Matthew 14, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, boy, it was late, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now that's some supernatural stuff, isn't it? And he changes not. Amen? It's not just a history lesson, it's the word of the living God. Amen. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come unto you on the water. Verse 29, And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. It was supernatural. Verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased when Jesus comes into the ship. Things that are troublesome cease. 
Amen. Do you have him in the ship or is he still on the water? Oh, my mm. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, You are the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. Outer courts is obedient faith if it's in the Word, do it. Go to church. Read your Word. Pray. Fast. Tithe. And put it into good soil. Find out what they're doing with it. And then sow there. And hear from heaven. Get alone with God. Don't be moved by emotional pleas for money. Because... If they're in a fix financially, it's normally because God's trying to fix something in them. And if they can fix the fix they're in with money before they themselves are fixed, God will just have to fix another fix to fix them. Okay. You can apply that to your own life too. Well, I need, you don't have a money problem. You have a thinking problem. You don't have a money problem. You, you with me? God will provide when you get into alignment. Under the spout where the glory flows out, it just shows up. For His vision. There's always provision. But if your vision is different than His vision, you have division. Okay, okay. Why are we divided on this issue, Lord? Because we've got two visions. Adjust your vision to come back into alignment with His, and His vision is always better. Father knows best. So outer courts, obedient faith, if it's in the Word, do it. Intercourse is experimental faith where you can begin to experiment with God once you hear His voice. Question. Who looked foolish before the end of this story? It was Peter, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the other 11 in the bun of religious activity, safe, resting in the bun of religious activity, okay. didn't look bad at all, did they? Sometimes we look at the people that step out of the boat and fall. We think they're the ones that are messed up instead of us sitting back in the boat doing nothing. Tell it. Tell it. Sit. Sit. I'd rather fail big trying than fail big doing nothing from heaven's perspective. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3 because Peter's story continues. Is this helpful tonight? We're going somewhere. Acts chapter 3. See, Peter grew in his faith, from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. The path grows brighter and brighter. We go from the 30-fold harvest to the 60-fold harvest to the 100-fold harvest when we align ourselves with God, spirit, soul, and body to follow the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because these three are one. And you're not three people, you're one as well. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. But your spirit man should be the ruler as he follows the Holy Spirit. Your soul should be the servant as he follows your human spirit. And your body should be the slave as he lines up behind your soul. So your spirit is king, your soul is servant, and your body is slave. So stop allowing your body to be king and direct your desires. Amen. And when your spirit man comes to the forefront, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 14 and 15, they are the sons of God. 
And sons are different than a child. The child can't be trusted with the Amex black card and the platinum. Do you know why? He'll go out and spend it with his friends with riotous living. But the one who matures and grows into sonship is co-heir with Christ. And now he's a steward of all. The child owns it all, but he doesn't have access to it because he's under tutors and governors until the appointed time comes. Say, it's time to grow up. up. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went together to the temple of the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. How often did they lay him there? Daily. Daily. Matthew 26, 55 says, Jesus said to the people that came to arrest him, they said, wasn't I with you daily preaching in the temple? Where do you think Jesus walked by daily? This temple. Who do you think he walked by? That same lame man, Jesus, the Son of God, walked by him daily and didn't heal him. See, there's timing in certain healings and I want to encourage you tonight. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Your hour is coming. And here's the other thing. As you seek Him, you will find Him. As you ask, you'll receive. And as you knock, the door is open because of your perpetual coming like the persistent widow who went before the wicked king who feared not God nor regarded man. But because of her continual coming, He avenged her of her adversary. How much more your heavenly Father will avenge you who cry out to Him day and night. Peter's faith, it says, ye of little faith. You know what the word little actually means in that passage? It doesn't mean little as in small. It means little as in small endurance. Short enduring time. Because he had faith. He was walking on the water. But his faith did not endure. And many today, under the sound of my voice, are thinking about shrinking back on a matter and throwing in the towel. And God is saying, don't do it. Press through. You're just this close to the breakthrough. But you have need of patience, the author of Hebrews says. For after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Faith and patience are power twins are like two sides of the same coin that make that coin spend. I've got faith, but is your faith enduring? If not, say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to press through. There was a man, and this story repeated itself many times during the Alaskan gold rush. People would sell everything to go up to Alaska to hit it big in gold. And there was husband and wife teams, and they would be working that gold mine, and finally she would give up, and he would continue to go on, and finally she would say, two more weeks and let's call it a day. Let's go back. Let's lick our wounds. Let's go back humbly and just just go back to where we were at. And he'd say, okay, two more weeks. Two more weeks would go and she'd, she'd say, it's time to go. Just give me one more week. And he'd say, she'd say, okay, I believe in you. I want, I want you to see your dream realized. And the next week would happen. And he would work in that gold mine and they would just get little pieces enough to eat. But there was never the gold rush. And finally, they would sell that gold mine to somebody else behind them who still had that fire and that passion and that excitement. And they would sell it to them for pennies on the dollar, knowing that they would never make enough even to get by. And in three days, the next group comes in on the labor that had been done 
by those that had gone before them and hit the vein of gold. And it was gold rush and they became wealthy off another man's labor because they shrank back and they fainted. Don't faint. Get your miracle. Get your breakthrough. Watch God promote you. He will exalt you in due season. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap your harvest if you don't faint. Therefore let us do good unto all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Peter is at the gate beautiful, the same Peter that met Jesus through a fishing experience and a word of knowledge and obedient faith. Now he sees Jesus on the water and he has experimental faith moving in and now Jesus is in his resurrected state. Peter is baptized in the Holy Ghost and the same boldness that was on Jesus and in Jesus is now in Peter and upon Peter to do the same works because Jesus said in John 14, 12, the same works that I do, you will do also even greater works than these. Jesus' shadow never healed the sick. Jesus never took handkerchiefs and aprons off his body like the Apostle Paul did. But it was Jesus who anointed those aprons. It was Jesus' shadow shining out of him by the Holy Ghost that healed the sick and cast out devils. Jesus is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 And He's wanting to get out to play. Because there's a hurting world. A hurting, lying, sighing, dying, crying world of destitute humanity in need of a Savior. And you're Jesus with skin on. And the hundredfold seed is in the hundredfold soil of your spirit. And He's asking you to allow your spirit man to come to the forefront to be a prince and a king under your God. And to be led by the Spirit so He can flow and shine out of you. And here's what happens. He was carried daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, verse 3, Acts 3, 3, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. They didn't say look on Jesus. They said look on us. You know why they said that? They were so full of Jesus shining out of them with their spirit yielding unto the Lord that all the windows and the shades were up. And when that man looked into their eyes, they saw faith personified because Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. And when you've got Jesus on the inside in full array yielded unto Him, people will look into your eyes, they'll see Him, and instantly they have faith for their miracle because of Jesus shining out of you. Can you tell people when they say, I don't have faith for this miracle, you look at them and just smile with the peace of God and you say, it's okay, I've got faith for both of us. Let's pray. That's where it needs to be. That's His highest will. Jesus shining out of us. So that the world might know that He's raised from the dead. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I 
the you can't give it unless you got it. And when you got it, it's easy to give. And when you give it, because you got it from Him, you'll disperse it freely and not look for anything in return from the people because you know God will take care of you. People do have a responsibility and it's their response to their ability, but your source and supply is God alone. Amen? You ever get a preacher who's angry in the pulpit? That's because he's been disconnected with his source. He left the Holy of Holies, the highest will of God, and he began to flounder. Pray for him. He loves the Lord. He's just frustrated. Remember Moses struck the rock twice because he was frustrated. The people frustrated him. But the first time he wasn't frustrated, he struck the rock once and the water came out. The second time God told him, just speak to the rock. See, Jesus was struck once for our sins. Now we just speak to Him and ask forgiveness. No reason to crucify Him again. No reason to take our dead works and try to reinvent sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice was there. Just receive your forgiveness and go and sin no more. Amen? Amen? And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praised God and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the gate beautiful of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. Do you know why I believe that the Lord allowed this man to remain in his condition as long as he was? I think it's twofold. One, I believe the man was getting aligned with God's perfect will to use his healing for the kingdom instead of personal gain. Number two, I believe that it was a key miracle that unlocked the door for 5,000 to get saved because in Acts 4.4 we see that because of this miracle, it opened the door. Everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew he was lame. Everybody walked by him. I imagine other people said, Oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Here, let me give a guilt offering. Let me kick something down to him on the street corner. You know, People don't put up, we'll work for food anymore. They just say, help. But they've got the ability... That's another message. Okay. <laughs> what happened in America? You know? Well, what happened? Able-bodied people. Man, can I get some money for a pack of cigarettes? <laughs> you know what? They they put the sign up while they're smoking. I'm like, I mean, we used to do our deeds of darkness in dark. Now we just got so brazen we do them. And this isn't a smoking versus non-smoking message. What it is, because you can go to you can go you can go to heaven smoking. You just want to not be smoking at Judgment Day. Come on, <laughs> you want to hear "Well done, good, good and faithful servant," not "Well done, crispy critter." Anyway, but <laughs> cigarettes will not keep you out of heaven. You smoke them long enough, they'll get you there quicker. They'll get you quick. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> but there's deliverance. What? And by the way, little footnote, footnote 42 in this message, 42b, 1a. <laughs> God always promises to deliver us from our enemies. But He never promises to deliver us from our buddies. And as long as that stuff, whether it's cigarettes 
or alcohol or pornography or gambling or an addiction to scores around the league with football or whatever it is or your shopaholic thing where you're a born-again shopper, charge it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Whatever it is that your buddy that you know is wrong, as long as it's your buddy and not your enemy, he won't deliver you. But the minute it becomes your enemy, he'll set you free. And the difference between deliverance and abstinence is light years apart. Deliverance is different than abstinence in that abstinence is I'm abstaining, but there's something in me that yeah, wants to. Yeah. And then deliverance is, He set me free. Hallelujah. Not by my own ability, and I don't have a desire for it anymore. Amen. Amen. Outer courts, obedience, faith. If it's in the Word, do it. 30-fold harvest. Inner courts, experimental faith. It's revealed as you read the Word and it begins to quicken things unto you. Holy of holies. That's commanding faith where you can command people to come up out of wheelchairs, blind eyes and deaf ears start to pop and open. Mm -hmm. And you've seen that stuff happen in our fellowship mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. when that commanding faith and presence is here. And God wants every believer because these signs will follow them who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is Christianity 101. Heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. That's Christianity 101, by the way. We'll get into the deeper stuff when we master that. The greater works. By the way, Peter started in outer courts obedience. And that was the stepping stone to inner courts experimental faith. And then he went from there into commanding faith, but it didn't end there. Because it got to the point where Peter didn't even have to command people to get up out of wheelchairs because Jesus was shining so bright out of him in Acts chapter 5 that people began to line up in the streets so that Peter's shadow, the adumbration of the glory, the episkizo, would overshadow them as he walked by and everyone got delivered of demons and the sick were healed. This thing about healing and deliverance, God's Word hasn't changed. There is more burger available. We just need to sacrifice the bun of religious activity and find Jesus back in the midst. How is your prayer life? How is your word life? And how is your fasting life? As we close. In the lower realm of the triangle, there's three compartments here. The bottom compartment represents prayer or the word will cause you to be in that outer courts experience. Prayer on the run. Two-minute Bible. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great place to start. But it's not a great place to live your whole life as a believer when there's so much more. The inner courts is prayer and the Word or prayer plus the Word. When you begin to supercharge prayer with the Word or supercharge the Word with prayer, where one can put a thousand a flight, two can chase ten thousand a flight. I know people that pray all the time, but they don't know the Word. I know people that know the Word, but they don't spend time in prayer. All word and no spirit causes a person to dry up. All spirit and no word causes a person to blow up and blow off. But a good measure of the word mixed with a good measure of the spirit causes a person to grow up in Christ. And then you can supercharge it with fasting. And fasting is not a requirement for you for salvation. Salvation is a free gift. 
Fasting is not a hunger strike against God. Fasting is a benefit, is a gift given to you, a tool to supercharge. It's like the nitrous oxide in a high-powered automobile. You're driving really fast, but when you hit the nitrous, you're gone. And the devil might be riding competitively with you. You're in the Word. You're in prayer. And you can feel him on your shoulder. It's a neck and neck. But you start doing pushaways at the table. You miss a few meals. The devil will start losing his ability to stay with you. And you go on a nice long fast. Oh my goodness. You go on that nice long one. Let me tell you what. You'll leave him in the dust because that's a nitrous oxide with God. I'm going to share something with you that the Lord spoke to me years ago. He said this to me. I put it in Isaiah 58, which is a chapter on fasting. He said, Fasting is not required of you. It is something given for your benefit that you might receive from the Lord. Fasting enables us to receive from the Lord things that prayer and the Word alone won't do. Mark 9.29 Jesus, why could we not cast the demon out of this boy? King James Version. Mark 9.29 Because this one comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. The gifts of the Spirit operate by faith and faith works by love, correct? So really this is a love gospel that causes the miracles to be released. We focus so much on faith but really we need to focus on the catapult or the root of faith which is love. Fasting is not required of you. It's given for your benefit. Turn to your neighbor and say it's for your benefit. That you might receive everything from the Lord. Jesus said this in in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray. He didn't say if, did He? He said, when you give. He didn't say if, did He? And He said, when you fast. He didn't say if, did He? The highest will of God in God's triune will, and it has nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with living the victorious Christian life to where others are able to see the love of God shine out of us. Others are able to see Jesus. It comes from prayer and the Word and fasting which is your three-piece punch to knock the enemy out. There's nothing wrong with the bun of religious activity. Go to church. Attend Bible study. Listen to your worship CDs. That's all good. Mix it with the prayer and the Word. And the burger will begin to grow within the bun. And you want to know what will happen? When you add the secret sauce of fasting you'll see the burger slide out over the sides of the bun and no longer will people look at you that are non-believers and say, where's the beef? I was driving here today and I saw a message on a Christian billboard outside of the church that only Christians would understand. And I thought to myself, we are fishing in our own bathtubs. We are fishing as Christian in our own bathtubs instead of going out in the lakes and the ponds and the oceans where the non-believers are hurting and going to hell without a Savior. 
and we put messages on our billboards as people drive by that are of the world that they don't have a clue as to what they mean. We use Christianese, we use terminology that none of them understand. You want to know why I know? Because when I was a non-believer, I didn't understand it. I didn't even read them. And the one, they perplexed me. Yeah. We have to adjust our terminology to reach the world. And here's another thing that we do. It made me sad. I was righteously indignant on the way here because it was like a flash of a revelation. We need to change our message and stop being so religious with all of our bun because if somebody did come into our church by accident or they were hurting, would they be able to find the beef? Or is it so well hidden? We have to become relevant. And I'm going to tell you what's relevant. The God of the Bible still shows up in miracles, signs, wonders, healings, diverse gifts of the Holy Spirit. He loves to set people free. He loves to love on them. He loves to go into a religious community where people that don't qualify according to the denominational church rules and regulations that really have a hunger and a thirst. He loves to meet those people. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, even though he himself was without sin. Are you willing to go into the highways and the byways and get close enough to the sheep to risk actually smelling like some of them? Or are you in your ivory tower with your clean suit and unwilling to hug them? Jesus wants to reach the people and He wants to reach them through you. The spiritual growth pyramid, prayer and word, prayer or the word, is a tool in the outer courts. Prayer plus the word is a tool in the inner courts. And prayer, word, and fasting will catapult you into a place that you'll not be able to get otherwise. Can I say this in closing? Fasting is a benefit for you. It's a tool God's given you. And in Mark 9.29, he says, this one comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You read it above it. He says, why couldn't we cast him out? He says, because of unbelief. He didn't say the demon comes out because of your fasting. What comes out is your unbelief. Let us close. Let us stand. Where's the beef? Do you have it? Would you like it? Do you want more in your life? Do you want do you want the beefy miracles, the meaty salvations, the transformed lives that happen with a right relationship with Jesus? If so, just raise your hand. Amen. Zenobia, please play. Bring us in. Lord, we see our need tonight. We thank you for the bond of religious activity that keeps us in the outer courts. We want more, Lord. We ask tonight, we seek tonight, and we knock. I pray right now, the Lord, that you would begin to align our spirits, that they would become king following the King of Kings. And I just order and direct everyone's human spirit to be aligned into the forefront in the name of Jesus.
spirit man, come forth. Soul, mind, will, and emotions get behind their spirits. Shift and adjust. And body, your slave. You're not going to heaven with us. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. We bless the body. But it will never know God as Father because you're getting a new one. But in this life, it is to carry you as your earth suit. So we declare now in the name of Jesus that bodies begin to line up and be healed. Every demon spirit, every addiction that is your enemy falls off by the power of the Spirit and the Word right now. I release angelic ministry on audio tape, on video, and in this room to begin to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. And I declare the love of God that bypasses your understanding to fill and flood you right now. I declare heavens be open. Heavens be open right now. Reach, reach your hands up unto the Lord. Even as a child would reach up to their father for daddy to pick them up. That's one of the reasons why we, we raise our hands up. It's to demonstrate reliance and absolute surrender. Just absolute surrender. Let Him pick you up tonight. I declare depression washes out of you as your spirits align now with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Depression's root cause is the human spirit that's not filled with the Holy Spirit and the enemy can depress you. But a balloon that's filled, when you try to depress it, your finger bounces off. And so we declare a fresh filling right now. Anxiety, bitterness, I see bitterness. And unforgiveness. God knows what they did. He knows more about it than you do. And He knows that they're broken and why they did it. Hurting people hurt people. Lord, we release and forgive them. In the same way that Jesus said on the cross, your son that did nothing wrong, they abused him in ways that are unimaginable. But Jesus said, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Lord, today we say we forgive them. They lost their minds. Bring salvation to their house. We forgive and release them. And as you do that, you'll find anxiety is going. Fear is going. Burdens off the shoulders go now. In the mighty name of Jesus, just, just release it unto the Lord. Leave it at the foot of the cross. And those that have had financial challenges and difficulties. Two things. One, I complained because I had no shoes till I saw a man who had no feet. There's always someone in a worse position. Lord, we thank You for what we do have. Food on the table. Clothing on our bodies. 
And we give thanks today because in the outer courts it's thanksgiving, in the inner courts it's praise, and in the Holy of Holies it's worship. And we long to worship You, Lord. Bring us into a place where we can see the Unseen One, where things begin to change in us so that You can change the world amongst us and do it through us as others might see Jesus. Say alignment. Alignment. There's no schism in the body. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. There should be no schism in our bodies. We're a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, and these are one. So we just declare alignment and shifting and that it would lock in place and stay. That we wouldn't be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of life. That we would no longer be knocked off our spiritual square by the vicissitudes of life, but instead we begin to laugh. And I release joy. I release laughter that doeth good like a medicine and literally brings healing and wholeness to your soul. And I declare the soul wounds to be mended and fractures to fuse back and the shattered souls to be made whole. In the glorious name that's above every name. Jesus, we give you praise tonight for making it all possible for what you did on the cross for us. Show us how to use the tools that we might have the three-piece punch of the prayer, the word, and a fasted life to knock out the adversary, to knock out our own soulish desires, to walk victorious so we might experience the greater works that you desire to do through us. In Jesus' name. Now just lay your hand on the person next to you. Or hold the hand of the person behind you. And just begin to pray for them. Ask the Lord to bless them. Because we are the body of Christ. And Christ lives in you. And He wants to touch the person next to you. There it goes. And those watching on video, literally there's an angel in some of your rooms just ministering unto you. Hebrews 1.14 says, Aren't they all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation? The ministry of angels is with you right now. Nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. Because God is all in all, meeting your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Be healed and made whole by the name of Jesus. Peace be still. Peace be still. 
heart irregularities go. Effects of the stroke, I command you to be reversed. I command blood to flow right now in Jesus' name. Limbs, I command you to be ambulatory, mobile, restored. Knee problems, I command you to be healed now in the name of Jesus.